Hey there, friends. You have found the What Had Happened Was podcast, and I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com on the ones and twos. I don't even know what that means. But what I do know is that I have a deadly fun show lined up for you today. You're going to get what I mean in just a few seconds. I totally geeked and nerded out about dead people with Angie Hoshauer from Woodland Cemetery. She has one of the funnest jobs in town, in my humble opinion, because part of her job is to talk about the remarkable lives of the folks buried at the historic cemetery. And boy, did we talk about dead people during this uh, podcast. We talked about a dating man who told his former owner exactly where he could go, Paprika, a gypsy queen, the uncorruptible bartender, and how a dating mayor ended up trapped in the city's favorite whorehouse for 10 days, no less. We also get into Angie's childhood at Sean Acres and why we both are so fascinated with the formerly living. I could literally talk about dead people all day long. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you find podcasts you just love to death. And if you like what you hear, do me a solid and rate us. And while you're at it, check out Cloudy with a Chance of Podcasts and stay right there. Two other podcasts in the Cox, Ohio family. The What Had Happened Was podcast is sponsored by Cox Digital Marketing. Let this trusted name in advertising help you with all your digital needs. All right, now, strap in. Angie and I are about to talk up the dead. So, Angie, I'm real excited to have you in here. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, you like the history stuff like I do. I love the history stuff. I could talk history all day long. Not what we actually are going to talk about. I know, we're going to talk about Woodland and dead people. <laughs> but who are your favorite dead people at Woodland? Who are my favorite dead people at Woodland? That's such a question. Thank you. Um, I'm very smart. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, my favorite story at Woodland is Jordan Anderson, uh-huh. uh, who is the freed slave who made his way up to Dayton, Ohio with the help of Valentine Winters Mm -hmm. of Winters Bank. His story is just so remarkable because slavery wasn't all that long ago either, if we really think about it. He was unable to read and write, but yet every single one of his children grew up to be a responsible and a viable person in society. One of his sons became a Buffalo soldier. Another son became a doctor and was named after Valentine Winters. So Dr. Valentine Winters Anderson. You know, that's remarkable. Their family was associated with the Wesleyan Methodist Church Uh for for years and years. And so his story really, and there's more to his story than what we could ever talk about on this. I think we should probably mention is that the reason he came back up is because of this letter he wrote. Right. Or he didn't write it. They they suspect that Valentine Winter wrote it, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was dictated to Valentine Winters, who, when you read the letter, it certainly speaks of the age. And you can definitely tell that Valentine Winter as a white man, as an abolitionist, put in some of his own digs, Uh you know, in there. But that's okay. But the basic uh, uh, part of the letter dictated from Jordan really speaks to someone who had been held in bondage for over 30 years and was who had been asked by his former slave master to come back and work for yeah, him. Right. On like the, right. <laughs> yeah. And so he, he says, well, yeah, if you pay me for the 33 years that I was under your, um, empl- not, not employee, that your I was slavery. your slave. Uh-huh. And so he basically asks for $11,866, which is, you know, no, it is so small and so in- insignificant to the work that he and his wife and his family members 
had done for um, that slave owner. So yeah, and if I remember right, there was also like implications that like maybe some of his daughters were lost to in the letter it was like he kind of mentioned some daughters that weren't that there were, anymore you know may have suffered under their master's hand uh-huh. which could certainly have been rape or even murder uh one of the daughters was whipped because of you know she was yeah. friends with, with the white girls on the plantation the plantation owner's daughters and she was teaching the slave how to read and they were whipped because of that that to me just it's just it's a sad story but i think it's a story that needs to be told and because it's one of our own jordan anderson came and spent 43 years Mm -hmm. of his life in dayton that's a lifetime what he did here the children that he raised and how well and respected they were in the community that says a lot about Dayton and who we are, where yes. we come from, and where we should be going. I actually interviewed his family for a story for Dayton Daily News years ago, and also for a thing I did for YSL Community Voices years ago. And they're like wonderful people. Oh my like gosh! His ancestors are still here, and they're they like are. thriving and like. Really we neat. we just had a program at the cemetery in March. The the Wilson family singers were there. There were probably twenty five of his family members in the audience how wonderful they are and they they embrace this story they believe in this story mm-hmm. they it's uh, courageous of them to allow this story to be told and, and to interview about it because a uh, slavery i think now we're comf- more comfortable talking about it right. but a lot of people don't talk about it and don't want to talk about it it is part of our history it can't be changed but if we can understand it and embrace it from both sides that makes us better people and i think too it gets back to what you were saying earlier how people think about that as being so long ago but the tr- reality is it's like wasn't that far ago and it's now still affecting us because because we haven't really we're two or three generations yeah if that yeah and yeah because there's like it's one president who can't remember which president it was my husband would know but the one president whose grandchild is still alive oh right uh uh, uh i want to say it was tyler yeah ben- it is tyler. I think tyler, it is tyler yes if yes. not out like fab, fab at tyler or yes. the real name it, is. yes i think it's tyler <laughs> president tyler yes his grandson is still alive and that's so weird when you think about it but history is such a but he had this child at a very late age uh-huh. of life and it's possible so it, it there, it's out there yeah it's I, out there so yeah i know like with my family i think that like my grandparents were not themselves slaves but their parents were right you know stuff like that right. it's kind of like puts it all in perspective it really it really is it's it's only a generation or two away who, what other kind of people okay. you got so who else do i have well of course i have to mention joseph <laughs> w green because he invented cheez it's and for yes Dayton, Ohio. Cheez-Its were invented in Dayton, Ohio. So um, the next time you grab that box of Cheez-Its, it's a hometown cracker. Uh And and, uh, what gives it its unique taste is paprika. And I was just recently reading a book about John Patterson, who, of course, in CR, and he had been uh, over in Europe and had seen um, people were eating a lot of paprika and they were very healthy. So he associated good health with paprika, paprika and had 4,000 pounds of paprika shipped over here, which could have been about the same time that the cheese it cracker was being invented because uh-huh. it's made with paprika. So it could have been that Patterson, of course, Patterson had his fingers in everything uh-huh. in Dayton, but uh, I like Patterson. I like John Balsley, who invented the modern-day stepladder that put the flat steps and the, made it the A-frame. We have Revolutionary War soldiers. We have 20 Revolutionary War soldiers at Woodland. And what's unique about that is that you have to remember that this was the Western Front. This was the 
this was the western frontier at one point yeah in the very don't think about it that way and you don't think about it that way but a lot of those soldiers who were involved in the revolutionary war got land grants and moved west to settle the western front and so there's um i think there's 158 american revolutionary war soldiers in montgomery county and 20 of them are at woodland including i want to mention uh alexander simpson because at the age of 13 imagine this imagine if you have a 13 year old okay i have a 17 year old but imagine the 13 year olds of today he enlisted as a private and was a drummer boy from new jersey so at the age of 13, he enlisted in the American Revolutionary War and then was a drummer boy. That's crazy. That's yeah, I, I wouldn't trust my um, 13-year-old nephew with anything. It, it, certainly uh, going to war. Drums. Yeah, not even, not even the drumsticks. Huh? Yeah, I wouldn't give him the drumsticks. Think about this. These 13-year-olds are going off to war. So how interesting is that? Um, also in Dayton, Lauren Berry, who invented the Yellow Pages that we know. Yeah. See, I did not know that. Lauren and Barry, the L and Barry company. No, I I knew about the company, but I knew I didn't know it was from Dayton. The Yellow Pages, yes. Uh, He moved here. He was living here, and he was already doing the printing the timetables of all of the the railroad timetables. And then he was selling advertising on the bottom of them. And then that's how he got the Yellow Pages. Oh, that's crazy. Selling advertising and putting in everybody's phone numbers and addresses and everything. And that's kind of the same thing with the cash uh, cash register, not. not Patterson, but uh, James Riddy. Yeah, yeah. The way he came up with it was just like he had a problem. He was looking for a solution, and he and there you have a cash register. Right, now. and the problem was that his bartenders he <laughs> <laughs> were stealing from him. He owned the Pony House Saloon, and he called his new contraption the incorruptible bartender. And <laughs> which but, makes sense when you think about it. Which makes sense, yeah. right? Because that was the problem. Problem, uh-huh. and the solution was that he could then count the money as it was being put into the drawer versus being put into the pockets of the bartenders who was working for him. So so I, I encourage everybody to go down to Jay's Seafood Restaurant because you can see the original bar, the actual bar from the Pony House Saloon is in the Jay's Seafood Restaurant. Okay, this is really stupid. I've been in that bar a million times and I heard that story millions of times, but I never connected that that was the bar. That is the bar. And if you look at the bar, at the bar at the top, there's an oval up at the very top, and it has J and R inscribed in it. That's for James Riddy. I'm real dumb. I, I haven't done. No, people just don't you think know, about it and connect think about it, it and connect it. Know, I've, both, I've known both stories, so yes. it's like putting. It, that's why you're here, Angie. That's why I'm here. That's right. Um, oh, I got to tell you the story of Malfunction Junction. Okay. Everybody who drives down I-75 on any given morning, especially a morning, uh-huh. you know, where it's rainy or snowy, and it's back. Well, even on a 90 degree day, it gets backed up at what we call Malfunction Junction, which is where Route Four and I-75 split. Mm-hmm. You know who you can thank for that? Who? Catherine Kennedy Brown. What happened with her? Catherine Kennedy Brown, her <laughs> home sits where the Salvation Army Croc Center okay. sits. And you know that beautiful house that you can see from I-75 now? The, the, the big house that's almost pinkish color okay, that okay. sits on their grounds? That was the home of Catherine Kennedy Brown. She, when in 1920, when 21, when the women get the right to vote, she uh-huh. goes to the Republican Men's Club and says, I want to become a member. And they say, oh, no. No, no, no. No, lady, you get out of here. No with women, ladiness. no women. So right. guess what she does? She starts the Women's Republican Club. Really? She's involved in politics and uh, with the Republican National Committee for 40, 50 years. Okay. She served as a delegate at nine different conventions. She was an advisor to James Bricker, uh, 
James Rhodes, Robert Taft, so highly respected in the Republican club. And when I-75 was being built, she said, don't tear down my home. Thus the reason 75 goes this way and Route 4 goes this way. And oh, wow. we have malfunction junction. Oh, that's hilarious. That's Catherine hilarious. Kennedy she Brown. Said, I have the a power woman. Now. A woman. A woman. Gives us like malfunction junks. And that's right, ladies. That's right. <laughs> you got some other ladies there too, right? Yes. Julia Shaw Patterson Carnell donated $2 million to build the Dayton Art Institute. She was one of these uh, women who was also very much interested in history. Okay. She had a little, like a little museum over on St. Clair Street. And so before she died, well, she died in the 40s, but in the 1930s, right before the Great Depression, Mm -hmm. she donates $2 million to the city of Dayton and says, if you'll maintain it, I'll build you an art museum. And Dayton Art Institute comes from Julia Shaw Patterson Carnell. And too, the art institute wasn't like it is now. It was like a zoo or something there. And it was like totally Uh... different. Yeah, I remember, I saw pictures with animals and, like, different... I don't, yeah, I'd have to look into that, too, because I'm not... And it could have been that they had that as part of the... Museum, Museum yeah. part of it, and then, you know, then it changed strictly to art, but... Yeah, so they um, had a school there and everything else, yeah. obviously. Yes, the Dayton Art School, the Dayton Art Institute School, Martha Shower was a teacher there for 45 years. Mm-hmm. She's also buried at Woodland Cemetery, and she taught Milton Caniff, who is the artist for the Steve Canyon um, comic strip. Really? And he's from Dayton. Everybody's from Dayton. Everybody's from Dayton. And half of them are buried at Woodland. <laughs> and half of them are buried. <laughs> no, Canif is not. He's still alive. But Martha Shower, she is. You'll get um, him eventually, Angie. We'll get him eventually. <laughs> Virginia Kettering, Irma Bombeck, the famous Madam, Madam Richter. The, yeah, she's that's at my Woodland. Favorite too. Um, Matilda it's, Stanley. It's Jordan um, Anderson, and then it's um, probably Madam. And then Madam, Madam Richter. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Her story is... You know, we tell it on our History, Mystery, Murder, and Mayhem program tour. Her story, of course, she was Dayton's famous madam. But what happened and the reason why she became a madam is because she was a woman who was married. Her husband left her in the 1870s. She's about 40 years old. So there's no workforce development program for her to go out and become a secretary. There's really not a lot that she could do. She goes and she starts working in a bar. And she had a kid, too. And she had kids. And, you know, she starts working in a bar, and as I like to say on our tour, she sells beer out the front doors for five cents a glass and entertainment arts for the gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) A politically correct uh, 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 words for um, a madam. Uh And her sister wanted to get involved, so she franchised and set her sister up in her own little whorehouse in Dayton over on Pearl Street. So I shouldn't say whorehouse. Uh, well, brothels. Like a they, it was a it, brothels, whorehouses. Yeah. So, uh, Madame Richter became very, very well known, very prosperous, very rich. Um, when she wasn't, she well, let's just say this: she listened to the men when they talked, uh-huh. <laughs> and and you know, you've got to figure that the bankers, the prominent men of Dayton were visiting her, including the mayor uh-huh. who got quarantined in her house during a diphtheria epidemic in 1910. Really? 10 days. The mayor is sitting in the whorehouse for 10 days. Get out of here. <laughs> Did you not know this not story? Not that story. Oh, okay. I heard the story about like somebody, like he was a boxer or something. He came and he like tried to rough up one of her girls and she like hit him or threatened to hit him. I oh, remember. I need to find that story. I like yeah. that story. Good for her. 
her. Yeah, it was like he, he tried to ruffle one of her. Like she defended her girls, which is one absolutely, of the and she cool did. She really had a good program for her girls because if they fell in love, she would set them up in a house. If they needed medical attention or care, she would take care of that. Um, under her care, a couple of her girls did die, and she buried them in her lot. So when you go up to her gravesite, you'll see just a couple of names, with the uh, first names only, and those were some of her girls. So she did take care of everybody. I mean, it was like a 401k plan. Yeah, exactly. Hey, here you go. Some right you there. Know, we're going we're gonna, to we're pinch it right. Here's your pension. Yeah. yeah, and it was something also about her donating money to, like, uh, the flood. Too. The flood relief program, yeah. yes. Uh she was one of the largest donors of the 1913 flood relief. At that time, she owned over 100 houses. 50 of them or more were destroyed. And the flood relief people were coming and asking for donations. And there's a list online you can find of who donated to the flood relief cause. And people were donating, you know, 50 cents or a dollar. She donated over $2,000 to the flood relief, which was a lot of money back then. When she died in 1923, her estate was valued at over $250,000. Which, which is would, a zillion dollars. It would be millions of dollars today. A very successful woman. Businesswoman, yeah. good for her. You know what happened to her? Her heirs at all? I don't. I don't know. Uh, you know her. I know her sister and her parents are all buried. Uh-huh. You know, in the in the same lot. But no, I don't know. And then Whitland too had another woman that I find intriguing, uh, the Gypsy Queen. Oh, Matilda Stanley, of yeah. course. Yeah, everybody I loves Matilda Stanley. Everybody loves Matilda Stanley. She was queen of the gypsies. Her husband Levi was king of the gypsies, and they were a gypsy tribe that came from England. And uh, the story uh, that's so famous that surrounds her is the story of her death. She died in January 1878 in Vicksburg, Mississippi, because that was where their winter camp was. Dayton was their home camp and their summer camp. They did not bury her for eight months, not until September 15th of 1878. And this is a morbid question right here. How did they keep her body for that long? That's just like, I know it's morbid, but. Well, no, they put her in our receiving vault that's on the grounds. The receiving vault was built in 1847, and it's a subterranean vault, which is, you can see it today, and it's built into a hillside, so it's going to stay cooler because it's in ground, like 53 degrees. Okay. And um, so they would put, they put her body in the casket and put it in the receiving vault. And then the family would attend and be at the receiving vault daily because people from all over the world in the country, other uh, gypsy chiefs. And tribes would come and pay their respects. And then the day that they decided to bury her, September 15th, then the Dayton Journal newspaper was the newspaper at the time, has a full front page account of this. They yeah, said, I've seen it. It's in yeah, our archives. It's a, yes. And it's um, a full account that they said over a 25,000 people attended her funeral service, which would be the largest funeral ever attended at Woodland. Yeah, yeah a, I can't imagine that many people from all 25, these different... 25,000. Yeah. yeah. Um, that 1,000 horse and carriages lined Brown Street up Woodland Avenue and into the cemetery. So many so that the horse and carriages couldn't get turned around. That the boys and the men climbed the trees to see what gypsy ritual was going to happen uh-huh. when they buried her. And guess what happened? death dropping in to create a little cliffhanger and to remind you that you can support this podcast in a couple different ways tell your friends about the what had happened was podcast subscribe to us on itunes stitcher and google play or wherever else you find death defined podcasts you can also rate us this will help people find us through the power of algorithm or whatever they're calling it these days the what had happened was podcast is sponsored by cox digital marketing interruption over 
Angie is going to tell us what had happened at the Gypsy Queen's funeral. I should say, what had happened, Angie? What happened is that (laughs) the reverend from the United Brethren Church came out and he said a prayer. The choir sang a hymn and she was laid to rest peacefully without any gypsy ritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it makes for a good story to think. An urban legend. It's something going to happen. There's something going to happen. Yeah. What happened? So, um, but yeah, very well attended funeral service at Woodland and, and Probably, and she's one of our most visited. Irma Bombeck with the Big Rock, uh-huh. Matilda Stanley, Madam Richter, and of course Johnny Morehouse. Now, Madam Richter was she always very popular, or is that in recent years? No, I think she's always been very popular. The story has been okay, so it's like it's even bigger now, probably. Yeah, I'm probably bigger because we do during the tours season. We do tell her story a lot, and people like it. I mean, they like to hear of the underdog. You know, right. here's a woman who was abused and left by her husband. And she does the best thing that she can do for herself and for her family. Now, granted, becoming a madam and owning brothels, but it's what was available to her at the time. An uneducated right. woman who, you know, or I she should say uneducated, uneg- maybe she was educated, but at that time you maybe had an eighth grade education. But she was obviously smart, knew how to invest her money, took the advice of the uh, businessmen that were coming and uh-huh. visiting her, invested in properties, which is what she did, and made a go of a life that could have just been horrible right, had right. she stayed with her husband or she could have met some other end. So good for her for being prosperous. And But then she also took care of other people. And that's what we like about her. It's a good story. It is a good story. It's a, it's a fun story, too. You think, like, back then, like, uh, you, you kind of help makes you imagine what Dayton looked like back yes. then, too. Yes. I guess Pearl Street was a, um, that was in a hay, hay market, right? Yes. And that's, like, from what I can understand, near where the post office is, like, uh, where Dayton Towers is. Yes. Over whole, in that area. Yes. And that, all that was, of course, taken out with the when the highway came in and all Correct. those. And it makes you think about what the houses looked like and what the sure. people were like. And well, you, you know, go Go up, drive up Wayne Avenue and look at those beautiful homes sitting on the hillsides mm-hmm. and imagine those houses are what were downtown, too. Yeah. You know, if you look, we're all familiar with the Dayton Women's Club there on Ludlow Street. And if you look at that house, imagine houses like that lined up right. all the way up Main and downtown and uh, 2nd Street, Main Street and Wilkinson Street. Those were the houses of the businessmen. Uh Um, Because that house was owned by Abraham Darst. Even Valentine Winters had a house on 3rd Street, a big house like that. So those were the types of homes. And you can still see those, you know, up on Wayne Avenue and and other places. Again, we're not that far removed. Because 75 didn't come into existence until the 1960s. Right. I-75. A lot of those big homes were still around in the 30s and 40s and oh, 50s. Yeah. And I mean, our house, we live in the Oregon District, and our house was like 1884. So you just think 1884 was not that long ago. I mean. No, and really that's kind of a newcomer because Dayton yeah. was established in 1796. Right. And Dayton became incorporated in 1804. So that was 80 years after. It's a baby. That's a baby. Yeah, because that's <laughs> at least three generations. How'd you even get your job at Woodland? Oh, my gosh. I was a seven-year volunteer before being employed. My previous employer was cutting hours, and I was being downsized. I was doing a volunteer project at Woodland, and I went back in, and I said, oh, by the way, let me tell you what's going on in my world. And they're like, wait, we might have something for you. And I'm like, you're kidding. So they oh, called really? they, Yeah, they called me back in, said, can you come in for a job interview? And I thought, sure, because you know, I knew I was going to be changing jobs soon. The position that I went into to, to uh, interview for, 
they said, we have something else. We're not ready to hire for this position, but we feel that you're the best person for it. So can you talk to one of our board members? And I said, sure. And went in over the holiday break and talked to a board member. And they called me back and said, we'd like to hire you. And I'm like, that would be awesome. So were you a history person before? I was a history person anyways. I, uh, well, my going, my history with Woodland is that my great, great, great grandparents were buried at the cemetery in 1858 and 1861. Okay. My oldest ancestor was buried there in 1854. So very long history with Woodland anyways. And I was there all the time taking photographs and doing research. So it just made perfect sense. I've been doing my fam- my own family genealogy since I was 17. I was adopted, so I have researched my birth family as well as my adopted family. So history for me is, is fun. Why, why is that something you wanted to do? Just because I've always wanted to know who I was and where I came from. Um, I, I knew that I was adopted. I uh-huh. lived at Sean Acres, which, you know, many people in who are from Dayton are going to remember that Sean Acres was right there on Main Street near Siebenthaler Avenue. Uh-huh. The main orphanage part of it is no longer there. It's Montgomery County Children's Services now, you know, down off of Merrimack Avenue. There's a couple of cottages that are still there. So I always knew where I came from really? there. So but you, you, did you, were you raised in the orphanage? I was adopted at three and a half. Oh, so, so I have were. memories and oh, I wow. have memories of my foster family, which who I met in 2011. 11. I oh, researched wow. and found them and they're living down in South Carolina and we have a great relationship. They actually wanted to adopt me, but they weren't allowed to uh, because they were a, a viable uh, foster family at the time. And I was one of the last of the group of children that actually lived at Sean Acres wow. because they were removing orphanage was shutting down and they were putting fa- uh, all of the children into foster families. And at three and a half, I was an adoptable child. So that's funny, because when I think about Sean Akers and that sort of thing, I think like a long time ago. It's not that long. It's not that long ago, I'm yeah. not that old. No, you're not that old. Like, I mean, I was adopted. She's, a, she's at least 17, but she's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are so kind. Um, no, I was adopted in 71 at the age of three and a half. So I'm 50, uh, just turned 50 in December, and was born in 67. The year of the summer of love. Yeah, that's not that long ago. (laughs) That wasn't all that long ago. And that's what's cool about history, too. You always, until you start really thinking about it, you think, oh, that was a long time ago. In reality, it was not that long long ago. All this stuff is right now. Yeah. So you you know you're adopted. You knew this whole story the whole time, so you're always interested. Mm -hmm. Did it also kind of steer your path towards trying to find out more about the people who are buried at the cemetery or... Well, of course, um, you know, my family, my birth family comes from Greene County and they settled in Greene County as early as 1820. So I am a member of the first family of Greene County as as well as the first family of Ohio, a Civil War Society family of Ohio and a builder and settler of Ohio. Anybody, anybody that's familiar with the Ohio Genealogical Society are going to recognize those groups. Like I said, my family came from Greene County very early on. And of course, they interacted with the people who were settling this entire area. So my being interested in history and who they were marrying and wow. with their jobs that they were doing and what was going on. Yeah, I so I've always been interested in history. Even when I was in elementary school, history and uh, was my favorite subject. Always loved reading about history. Did your birth mother know this history, like this stuff about her family? No, she didn't. She herself had was raised in, in Sean Acres as well. Oh, wow. So, you know, she didn't know a whole lot about her family. She knew a couple of names. I did find her and I did meet her 
and we talked a little bit about her family history and then from there I took it back to the 1700 what information little information I I got from her I was able to research all on my own and that's what helps me with my job today even though I'm the marketing and development mm-hmm. manager at Woodland I have to market you know the programs and, and tours and services that we provide and then also when I'm raising money you know for like the historic chapel restoration and for the Arboretum Foundation it's good for me to know who's there and of right. course the who's who of Dayton is is basically you know at Woodland yeah so, nice People think it's weird that I like Woodland so much because I love cemeteries anyway. Because I love cemeteries. Me too. My mother always got me because I went to New Orleans a bunch of times and she's like, where are you at? I'm at the cemetery. And she's like, why? I'm like, I like dead people. <laughs> I, that's <laughs> on my bucket list is to go to a New Orleans cemetery. It's really Just cool. because it's very unique and different down there. Oh yeah, it's really, it's really neat. And it's fun to go and look at the different monuments. And yes. I guess and imagine what mm-hmm. the people were like and all this other stuff. Like what, what is new at Woodland? What is new at Woodland? Oh, well the newest. That's a weird question question coming from a cemetery but it yeah, is. well because we're 177 years old um founded in 1841 so what is new at woodland would be uh our cremation scattering garden that you know cremations are becoming more popular again mm-hmm. um and i think it's because it's more cost effective so down by the pond we have a cremation scattering garden where people can put their cremated remains directly into a working garden so that would be for those that are Uh green conscious you know um, that want to have a green burial over in the south section which is when you go underneath stewart street over by the area by university of dayton the apartments and, Mm -hmm. and and campus over on that side we have a couple of new areas over there. We have a new, uh, what we call Serenity, put in a new walkway. Mostly new in the 1990s would be the outdoor columbarium uh, with Soaring Spirits, which is that beautiful uh, sculpture okay. by Robert Kepernick that was put there in the 1990s. Also new would be up at Lookout Tower, We or Lookout, uh-huh. um, we put 95 new cremation niches up there. So because we were sold out and people really like that area. So we've put 95 new cremation niches up there. And I must say that that's always consistently voted like one of the best places to view. It is the best view of Dayton.com. Yes. Um, And we appreciate everybody that votes for us because it is you get you get a sense of Dayton when you're up there. You can see actually when we're up there, we tell people this is why the 1913 flood happened because you can actually kind of see it. Dayton sits down in a fishbowl. Uh-huh. It sits lower. You're up at the highest natural point in the city of Dayton when you're at uh, Woodlands Lookout. And you can see the horizon all around you, which is much higher than the city. Earlier or late last summer, we had a visitor from the Dayton Convention Bureau. And she told me that when you're at Woodlands Lookout and you see the top of the Kettering Tower, that is flat with the runways at Dayton International Airport in Vandalia. Now, if you're up there and you see that, you can see how low Dayton sits because the top, she said, the top of the Kettering Tower is flat with the runways at the airport. Wow, that really puts us in perspective, really. Yeah, so the next time uh, you're up there, yeah, it is a valley. Truly, we live in. 
the Miami Valley. And this time of year, I always feel like I'm like sneezing. <laughs> Sinus Valley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to say, Angie? That oh I'm my asking? gosh, there's always something I can say. When am I get? When do I get to come back on? <laughs> when do we get you to don't do have this to leave. again? You come, I'm serious when I say that too. I'm like totally geeking out over here. This is like people are like, "What's wrong with her?" I'm happy. <laughs> we're talking about dead people. Oh, we we mean it in the best of intentions when we say that we're talking about the dead. We do respect them here at Woodland uh-huh. and I know you do too Amelia I mean we are laughing about it but it's just because we really like Dayton's history and we like the stories that are associated with these people so we mean no ill, Ill will or, no, or disrespect um, for any anybody that has family over there because I have family over there you have family over there most of Dayton has family over there and we are a beautiful and um, a beautiful cemetery, and we do respect everybody that's there. But you know what? Telling these stories, it also kind of gives them life again. It it's is like people fun. are talking about them, and yes. people are curious we about them. We never want to forget who they are. Yeah. Well, hey, Angie, thanks a lot for coming in here. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. See, I bet you didn't know that dead people could give us so much life. <laughs> thanks for listening in on the What Had Happened Was podcast, sponsored by Cox Digital Marketing. Until next time. Hunt you later. I don't even know what that means.